13. We're going to endeavor and try to finish out the chapter tonight. I know it took a lot of time earlier, so we may not be able to, but we'll do our best. Romans chapter 13, we want to pick up in verse number 11. And as we get right into the next section, we aren't going to review anything after those three instructions about love in the previous verses. So let's pick up Romans chapter 13. If you need an outline, Brother Cliff is going to make his way down the middle aisle. He'd be glad to hook you up if you'd like to follow along in the back of the prayer bulletin. That would be great. But Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. That would be verse number 14. Notice what Paul uh, says to us. He says this, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness and in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Man, fantastic passage. I love how Paul was led of the Holy Spirit to integrate this in the middle right now as he is going to change subjects. Looking forward to chapter 14, dealing with Christian liberties and things like that. Uh, but right now he stuck this in. I think it's tremendous, and I'll explain why. If we were to sum up all these verses, if we were to say, okay, here is the main statement of what Paul is getting at, I, I would put it as that first statement on your outline. It is the idea of his exhortation to every believer to possess an urgency, to possess an urgency in becoming more and more like Christ. He is stressing now what he has been teaching, that there is an urgency to us taking on Christ, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll certainly allude a little bit more to it. It's really the main point of the passage. Think of terms of this way, if we can think of illustration. This morning, or uh, maybe even this evening, each one of us, we, we went into our closets or a drawer, and we picked out what we were going to wear, or our wives picked it out for us. Either way, you, you picked out clothing that you were going to put on and get dressed and wear, and as you did so, you, you took some things into consideration. You, you chose what would be appropriate uh, for the task, maybe going to work or now for church, whatever the case may be. You, you chose what fit. That's always important, isn't it? Uh, choose clothes that fit and things like that. You probably chose in your mind what looks good or looks fine. Uh, you probably chose, uh, in a sense, something that reflect who you are, what you were going to be doing, where you were going. All of these are factors that came into play when you chose what you put on, the clothes that you uh, uh, chose to wear. Now think about that in terms of this. In the, in the world, certainly, there is much emphasis upon fashion, having the right kind of brands, looking a certain way, maybe even a faddish mentality or emphasis. I always find it funny when I hear somebody in the world talk about dress to kill, and all I can think of is, oh, that's killing me. But I don't know if that's what they mean, but I doubt it. You know, that's, what I, that's my reaction when Dave Cooper wears pink. But anyway, uh, that's what the world says, right? Dress to kill, okay? Now, Paul's certainly not doing that, but he is saying this. Watch what you put on. Be careful what you wear. Now, not physically. There's other passages that deal with that, modesty and such. But in this passage, he's saying spiritually, you ought to have an urgency about what you wear. What, what deeds, what things you put on and what things you cast off. That's literally what this passage is telling you and I. I would put it this way. What's, what's his main emphasis as far as what, how to dress spiritually? He's saying this, dress to reflect. Dress to reflect. You say, okay, what are we to reflect? Well, we're to reflect the very character of Christ. 
When we are told to put on Christ, it's the idea of taking on his character and what we have just seen play out, Romans chapter 12 and uh, the beginning parts of Romans 13, he's really telling you and I, take on Christ, man. Every area of your life, put on those characteristics that is Jesus Christ, how he would act. Uh, we all would bristle, probably, and maybe not all of us, but boy, when we went through it, and I can't remember what decade it was, but the WWJD, when that came out, you know, and it was on everything, what would Jesus do, and bracelets, and t-shirts, you know, yeah, yeah I, I kind of bristled because anybody and everybody latched onto that, and uh, they would be doing things wearing t-shirts that say WWJD, and they weren't doing things that Jesus would do, you know, so it was a little inconsistent across the board, so it seemed, but the reality is here, the idea is, as Paul is telling you and I, what would Jesus do ought to be our question. How would he react? How would he respond? What would he be thinking in this situation? And what thoughts would he have? And what actions would those thoughts produce? And then what characteristics would he display and demonstrate? That's really the the question that is begged, and he calls us to reflect upon that. It's why we read through this passage the several challenges to put on, to put off, to discard, to clothe ourselves in that which is befitting um, Jesus Christ. Stated simply, what is sanctification? Well, literally, if you think about it in context of this passage and even other ones that Paul writes, sanctification is being clothed with Christ. This is spiritually being clothed with Christ. And that passage, as we'll see, really hammers this idea home. Paul would use this terminology in another passage. He wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. I love the terminology here. He says, and that ye put on the new man, the new man in Christ. And how does he describe this new man in Christ that we're supposed to put on, which is after God, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. Not a fake or an attempted holiness and righteousness of the law, but this is one that is gained through Jesus Christ. Putting on on Jesus Christ as he encourages us to do. Now, let's make an observation about the Christian life that comes to play in this passage. The Christian life is unique in this way. Now, listen carefully, because this might throw you for a mental loop. Uh, think of it in terms of this. The Christian life we possess and now live is rather unique in this. Uh, we, uh, there are some things or some ways um, uh, how that we, in this spiritual life, we have things that are already true, And yet at the same time, we are told and encouraged that something ought to be true about the spiritual life. In other words, often we read in the scriptures, the Bible says something, uh, for instance, we'll give you a couple of illustrations. The Bible gives us instruction about something, but it also points out you are already this in Christ, and yet you ought to be working towards this. You say, Pastor, I'm in that mental loop. You just totally confused me, okay? Like a termite and a wooden yo-yo, all right? Up and down and all over the place. Now listen, this is what we mean, and and, and it bears... uh, as I said, it bears out in this passage, okay? Think about it this way. When we are saved, the Bible makes it crystal clear you and I possess holiness in Christ. And yet at the same time, in the Scriptures, what are we commanded to do? Be ye holy. Now, it's interesting. Let me just throw a couple verses at you. Obviously, 1 Peter chapter 2 and and verse 9, the first part. For ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Notice that ye are. These are. This is what you are. Set apart, sanctified, that's what you are. You are holy. So as a, as a believer, a saved one. But also said Peter himself, First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, But as he which is holy, is holy what? Who's called you, so be ye holy. So be ye holy. 
in all manner of conversation. So there's some uniqueness about the Christian life that says you are already this, but you need to be becoming this. You need to be taking that on and, and growing in that way. There, there's several other illustrations. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 19. We could point to a myriad of different verses about this. The fact is this. Um, you and I, we ha- are righteous. We possess righteousness in Christ. And yet what are we commanded to be? Righteous. So there's this unique aspect throughout the Christian life and in several things. You are this, but also you are to be becoming this. You are to put these things on. And uh, you see here, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We study that in Romans. Uh, hence the reason we picked it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but notice it. But follow righteousness and faith and charity and peace with them that call the Lord out of a pure heart. We're supposed to follow after righteousness. Just a couple of examples demonstrating the reality that in the Christian life, it's rather unique in this. You are this, continue or move on pursuing this. And as we said, it comes to play in this. Uh, Notice it. Uh, We want to acknowledge that reality of the Christian life and understanding that God tells us through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He says we are in Christ. Literally, Paul says, you have put on Christ. Here it is. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit through faith and trust in him, you have put on Christ. Now, wait a minute. We read in verse 14. What does it say? Put on Christ. So here's another illustration about the uniqueness of the Christian life. And so it, it helps us to have this understanding and, yeah, that, that God often says, you are this, you need to continue being this way. You need to continue pursuing this in a practical aspect, in a, in a day-by-day aspect. And uh, we could break it down even much as we looked at righteousness before and justification and present and future and so forth and, and past in the sense, how you stand and, and so forth. But suffice it to say, we have this understanding that God is telling us to put on Christ, as he does here in verse 14, though we are already. This is sanctification. This is daily doing what? If I'm called to put on Christ, I'm already in Christ, I've already put on Christ in faith, now I am called to daily put on Christ. And what is that? Well, it's not be saved every day. It's not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ anew every day, though that faith ought to continue. What is it a command to do? Put on Christ the very character of Jesus Christ. Put on the image of Jesus Christ. We would give it the terminology of Christ-likeness in everything we do, our words and our actions and so forth. Notice that it, uh, the picture here and certainly in other passages is very much like grabbing a piece of clothing and putting it on, wearing it. At the same time, it also calls us to say, okay, there's some things that are dirty. There are some things, that, a dirty shirt or a blouse that I would take off and just discard, toss to the side, cast it away. There are things in our life that are not becoming Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we have to, on an ongoing basis, have an urgency about, wait a minute, This isn't befitting who Jesus Christ is. I'm a child of the king. I'm a Christian. I I need to be concerned, have an urgency about putting on Christ. And if this does not reflect Christ well, my attitude, my spirit, my actions, my deeds, my thoughts, then I need to discard that. I need to put that off as the Bible would also put it. See, Paul's going to get into this truth and kind of hammer it home from a couple different directions. But before he does... He brings up the impetus or the motivation, the reasoning, so it would grab your attention and my attention. He does it in such a way that underlines the need and the importance of what he's about to do. Uh, And I like how he puts it. You know what he literally says? This is it. We're on your outline, number one. He says this, wake up and wise up. Wake up and wise up. 
He says, you need to know something, all right? Yeah, verse number 11, and that knowing the time. You need to know the time. Wise up, okay, to what time it is. You ever do that in the morning if you have children that need to go to school? Uh, you ever been late for work or late waking up for work and somebody goes, do you know what time it is? <laughs> you've slept through, you've done this, you know, you know we got to get going and maybe for church tonight, okay? And we've got to get out the door. Do you know what time it is? That's literally what Paul is saying. Know the time, wise up to what time it is. And then he says what? Wake up. Get out of your slumber. Stop sleeping. Stop, uh, stop being in a, in a state where you're not stirring, where you're inactive, not involved in what you should be doing. So now let's make the uh, spiritual application. God, through Paul, is telling you and I that we need to awake from a spiritual unconsciousness. Kind of just going along with the flow. Kind of not, not even thinking about what time it is. And, and spiritually, you know what we've done? We've hit the snooze button too many times. That's literally what God's saying through Paul. The spiritual unconsciousness, unresponsiveness to the need and the things, the inactivity concerning the Christian life and the things of God. He's following this now, what? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he talks about how we're supposed to interact with fellow believers, with other mankind, other humans. He talks about how we're supposed to have obedience to those in authority over us. We just got done talking about what gracious, agape love looks like and how it's displayed in our lives he says listen now check your own report card are you sleeping are you slumbering do you need to wake up wait wise up know the time that we find ourselves in you need to wake up you need to focus on and give this your full attention and energy it's an urgency you can imagine paul was writing with one eye to the sky while at the same time he uh, says you know what we ought to uh, be urgent in this business of being a christian that reflects the character of god in everything possible let me ask you this what do you do when you have a spouse or a child or a, a grandchild that does not wake up what do you do well, you might first speak gently, right? You might just say, hey, it's time to wake up. Hey, honey, it's time to wake up. Then that doesn't work. You might talk a little louder, right? And hey, it's time to wake up. Uh, you say that doesn't work. You say, okay, then I go in, I turn on the light. I open the, uh, the shades, whatever the case may be. And then that doesn't work. You say, you know what? I, I pull the covers off. And boy, for some that works, especially in a cold morning, doesn't it? And uh, you pull the covers off. Maybe you start shaking them, you know. Hey, it's time to wake up. You got to get up, you know. It's just a, it, what, what do we call that? An increased urgency. I've told you before that when I was a kid, I remember one time my, I wasn't getting up, I think, for my mom for school or whatever. My dad poured cold water on me. That'll get you up. It'll wake you right up and get you right out of that bed. And what, what are we talking about? Increased urgency. May I just submit to you that Paul is doing all of those things verbally in this passage? He's trying to reason with, hey, it's time to wake up, man. It's time to wise up. It, it is time to say, hey, what time am I living? What, what, what is going on around me? Hey, wake up. Know the time. He's pleading with us to embrace the wisdom, and how does he put it? Now, notice the description. What time is it? Well, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is almost here. Now, listen. I have children, and boy, you talk about anticipation for the day uh, that they're expecting. Whatever it may be, man, vacation or this happening, birthday party, man, is, is it today? Is it today? 
And Paul said, listen, it's close. You need to be ready. There needs to be an urgency, Christian, about, and, and we often apply it to winning the loss. Fantastic. Great. But you know what there ought to be an urgency to? Living like Jesus Christ. Putting on the character of Jesus Christ. That's what he's dealing with here. Saying, wait a second. When I look in the mirror of God's word, it is not what it ought to look like. And so, man, I need to be careful, and I need to be urgent about putting on Jesus Christ. I'm not presenting myself a living sacrifice in that area. I haven't reacted well to that person in that area. My neighbor, I haven't treated like Romans chapter 13, 12 and 13 says. I, I haven't obeyed that authority like I ought to. I haven't been showing love like I owe it, showing love like I want it. Showing, I haven't been showing that kind of agape love. Boy, we ought to take assessment of ourselves as we look in the mirror of God's word and say, wait a second, I'm not looking uh, like I ought to. I'm not looking like Jesus Christ. I'm not reflecting him as I ought to. And so Paul says, take inventory. Make sure you're evaluating yourself in the light of the time. He says, wise up the, or wise up the night is far spent. What is the night far spent? Well, he's saying the day is coming. The culmination of our salvation is at hand. My friend, that ought to encourage you like nothing else. The day of our emancipation from body and soul from this world of sin is close. We are about to be freed. Uh, looking at this world in the rearview mirror, if we may put it that way. Uh, it's on the horizon. Here's another illustration of truth of the Christian life that we mentioned a moment ago. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, our day of salvation, wait a minute, I'm already saved. Exactly. See, here's the Christian life again. Here's something you already are. Here's something else that, that's going to happen. You're supposed to be working towards or working in light of. What is it? Number one, you're saved, amen? You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He said, whosoever shall trust in, in Christ is saved. Thou shalt be saved. Yet at the same time, what do we understand? Well, what he's saying here, the day of your salvation is coming. Uh, we think of it and know it obviously in terms of this. You know, I'm looking forward to the day that I am saved from this world of sin. That we do escape it, we're freed. But I'm also praising God that as I stand here today and you sit there today, we are spiritually saved already. I have a place in heaven. See, it is true, it is uh, what I am now, but it's also what I am living in light of, the fact that my salvation is coming when we'll be uh, taken out of this world, whether through death or rapture, and what a delight that will be. Um, notice that what he's saying simply this on your outline, every tick of the clock inches us closer to our full salvation. This is what I love. Don't miss it. I, I, please don't. I, I, I trust it's an encouragement to you. It is as I consider what Paul writes uh, here in this, this passage. When he says uh, just, uh, below, uh, just above verse 12, verse 11, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. You know, I'm grateful f about the Bible, especially the New Testament even here. It's written in such a way, and don't miss it, that it keeps every generation of Christian on the edge of our seats. It's written in such a way that it keeps every Christian diligently living like Christ while also looking for Christ. See, when Paul wrote that, it was as true in his day as it is today. Every day that I open my Bible and I open to Romans chapter 13 and I glance down there at verse 11 and, and we read, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. May I just tell you, that affirms the truth of the Scripture. 
Because every day I read that, I am closer. I mentioned closer, just a little bit closer. I don't know where the finish line is. I don't know when that day is going to come, but that's the one thing I do. I'm getting closer, and God says it's going to happen. And so I need to prepare for that. I need to live in light and urgency of the reality that, man, that day is coming. My salvation is nearer than it's ever been. And each one of us can say that every day. Paul's statement here is what? It's timeless. It's timeless. It's good for every generation of believers. It's true every day we open it. Uh, As we answer the call to wake up and wise up, as we say, okay, I need to give my attention and focus to the reality uh, that, uh, wow, it is nearer today. I haven't been living like the night is far spent and the day is at hand. I haven't been living like that. I, I haven't been pursuing Christ's likeness, uh, honestly evaluating in my life things that are not up to the par, are not up to Christ's likeness. It's too easy to sleep, isn't it? It's too easy to say, okay, I'll worry about that later. I'm not going to take it. And so we spiritually slumber. We don't, we don't think about improving. We don't think about, oh, wait a minute, that attitude today wasn't right. That, I shouldn't have uttered that word. I, that thought that came in my head, I, I, can't, I shouldn't have that because that, that doesn't please Christ. That doesn't look like Christ. That's not putting on Christ. You know what happens the longer we live and uh, the more we're tempted to think in our old flesh that Christ isn't coming back in my lifetime. But the Bible says you and I ought to expect it every day. We ought to live in light that, that my salvation draweth near every day. It's nearer today than it was when I first believed. Continually reminding myself of that and understanding, man, I need to pursue Christ's likeness. So what does he say? First thing he says this, obviously wake up and wise up. Then he says this, number two, clean up. Clean up. I love what he says in verse 12. He says, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Well, the natural tendency of the human heart is to succumb to the temptations of Satan and this world, to give in to them, to give in to darkness. May I just put it this way? Every Christian is called to swim upstream. <laughs> in this world, we're called to swim upstream against our flesh, against the culture, against the world. We are called to swim upstream. In fact, I put it in the outline in this way. See, the popular current the popular current of action and deed and thinking is to be opposed. It's to be swam against. It's influence cast out of our lives. That's what he's saying in verse 12. Nights first spent the days at hand. Let's therefore cast off the works of darkness. Why would we continue going with the current of our old man, our flesh, this world, when, wait a minute, we're totally different. We're new in Christ. So he says, cast it off. Swim against it. Kick against that. Anything that's remotely connected to the darkness of sin in this world and our actions and our, and our words and our thoughts should be cast off like an obnoxious and gross garment. Uh, you think about it. Have you ever been out working or you gotten some, something so dirty and boy, you, you, you can't wait to get it off and throw it in the laundry or maybe even throw it away? That's the mentality here. Cast it off. Just get rid of it. It's not doing you any good. You know, we've said before, and certainly the Bible bears it out, Christians put up with sin for way too long in their lives. There's not an urgency to keep that uh, small account uh, clean with Christ. We just hang on to things. We allow things to be in our life that ought not to be there. We, we, we allow these things of darkness, this different, and this is a statement. Don't, it's not speaking specifically to any sin. It's speaking generally of all sin. It's telling us any of those works of darkness, any sin, why would you tolerate that if you have the urgency that Jesus Christ is coming back any moment? That the day is almost here, that you can see the sun coming over the, uh, over the horizon there, and boy, it's, it, it's, 
dawn is almost here. Starting with the coming of Jesus Christ. See, one cannot swim upstream uh, if, in life if you are spiritually asleep. I fear that often in our lives we simply go along for the ride. We just kind of go with the flow. We go with the current and, and we get caught up and we don't uh, sense the urgency of what God has called us to. I like the reference in verse 12. Did you catch it to armor? Uh, and so he kind of gives us a little illustration within verse 12 and 13, I believe. There's a reference to armor in verse 12. And then uh, he, he gives us a vivid description of uh, uh, what we ought not to be doing in light of the day of Christ's return, dawning in verse 13. And it would appear that Paul is giving us a picture of a soldier. As he speaks of the armor, and yet the very next verse, he, he speaks in verse number 13, uh, kind of like, and you could picture it, verse 13, he's, he, he, the soldier, it has spent the night before he's been out carousing that's what the word rioting okay we know a lot about rioting today and uh, but this is what the meaning of this word is the idea of carousing he's been out carousing he's been out in drunkenness it says fleshly pursuits or promiscuity immorality all these different types of indulgences of sin and Paul is saying it's time for us to put those away he's like, uh, take evaluation of your life make sure there's nothing like that in your life make sure that there's we're not entertaining it cast that off like a stained and dirty garment not befitting us. And he speaks of fulfilling the lust of the flesh in verse 14. And boy, that really hits home. That's, that's what he's alluding to even here in verse 13. But verse 14, he puts it very plainly, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a broad description of sins that we allow in our lives and our thoughts and our actions. Now notice it. Now here's interesting. You see verse number 13. What does he add to this list? Because it doesn't fit perfectly with the example of a soldier. He says strife. That terminology, strife, means a persistent contention. It means an antagonistic spirit. It, it means a competitive attitude, bickering, petty disagreements, enmity. It's a word that encapsulates all of that. It's a self-focused spirit, a, a spirit not of reconciliation and getting along, but a spirit of, of contention. It's egotistic. It's self-indulgent. Boy, how easy it is to fall into a pattern of living like that, giving into the old flesh and fulfilling the lust thereof. And then he says what? Envy. He adds to it envy. Now, this is an interesting one. It's ungodly jealousy as we come to understand it. And in that, uh, the Greek word used here is the, the, is the Greek word from which we derive the English word zeal or zealous. See, typically zeal and zealous are produced or presented in a positive light. But here it's, it, it, it's a negative light. Why? Because two things are wrong with it, at least, that, that make it a, a negative. First of all, uh, it's the idea that it has a, it, it's misplaced, a zeal that is misplaced. It has the wrong object of its zeal, of its intensity, its passion. It is wrongly, uh, it's the idea of wrongly focused. And secondly, it also could be wrongly motivated. A zeal and a zealousness that is motivated by selfish or personal ambition. And that's its fuel. So it creates what is condemned here. He says, don't do that. Be careful in your life when you have zeal and this idea of envy. And that, man, just, it's wrongly motivated. And it's, the object is wrong. It's not pointed, if we may put it that way, uh, in, in the right place. So the question is this. Why in the world did Paul add that to uh, verse 13? Why does he throw in their strife and envy into this long list of immorality, promiscuity, drunkenness? Uh, he throws in the rioting, uh, the idea of carousing. Why in the world would he throw it in there? Well, remember, he's talking to believers. He's gotten through the beginning of, of Romans. He's talking about being justified. He's talking about being saved. And he comes down, he's speaking to you and I as believers. And he says, be careful. 
Because you remember in the, in the church at Corinth, how much trouble and divisions and contention they had and how they were fulfilling the lust of the flesh, creating problems. And Paul writes to them, and in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, you've got to deal with those. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3, he makes this statement. For you are yet carnal. You are putting on the carnal, the old. You're taking the clothes of the old man. You're putting them on, but you're saved. You ought to look like Christ. But you're putting on the carnal. You're carnal, the old clothes. And uh, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as man, the old flesh? Now listen about this, okay? Th- think of it, put it in terms of this, okay? Um, it's fun having several boys. Every once in a while, as we pass on clothes to the other one, if they don't get worn out or torn up, um, one of the older boys will see in the laundry pile for the younger boys some clothes that he wore. One or two times, just to be funny, one of my older boys put on those clothes that belong to the younger kids now. And their comment was, oh, this used to be mine. I remember I wore it. And now it looks grotesque on them, okay, because they don't fit it. So, you know, that's literally the picture here, that you and I, look, I'm a Christian. And what do we do? We go put on the things of the old man. And I'll tell you, it doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. Because you and I are supposed to put on the character of Jesus Christ. And boy, the moment we start thinking the wrong way, we have attitudes and we do all these things that are wrong, strife and envy and all these other. But you know what? God in heaven says, what are you doing? You're putting on the stuff that belongs to the carnal man, the old man. You're a Christian. Put on Christ. Cast off. The works of darkness. Don't, don't let that be uh, on you. Discard that. Throw it away. You're yet carnal. See, Paul is calling all Christians to, to clean up our lives. Leave it behind. Discard it. Cast these things off. And not only these things, but what do you have? Man, cast off the thoughts from which they originate. So take care of the mind, the battlefield, and cast them off. Get rid of them. That's not befitting Christ. The actions they produce, and then the giving into our flesh that they demonstrate. And that's really what it goes back to, doesn't it? We're living according to the flesh. We have established him, that old flesh, back on the throne. Leave it behind, clean it up. And uh, why? Because God's made it possible. I am so thankful for the new life that we have in Christ that we are capable of living in such a way that we reflect Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss that reality and that truth of what Paul's getting at. You and I are capable through Jesus Christ and all he's done for us, the power that God gives us on a daily basis to reflect, to dress in such a way spiritually that we reflect Jesus Christ. Wow, what a great God we serve. So that's what he's called us to do. Turn with me, if you will, to Titus chapter 3. I love how Paul puts it to Titus. And because he establishes we're all in the same boat. We've all uh, had that time in our life where we lived unto the flesh. And, and we've been a sinner that, that has given in to the lust of the flesh. And Titus chapter 3, notice verses 3 through 8. This is what he writes to Titus. And uh, Man, what a great statement. It kind of goes back to what we talked about, the love that we show. We can show it graciously because we've seen the grace of God. Notice what he says in Titus 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts, divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Notice verse 4. I love it. But after that, the kindness And love of God our Savior toward man appeared. We saw it. 
we, we came to grasp what the kindness of God, the love of God looks like. Now, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. No, no, no. This didn't originate in me. It originated in God and Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified now by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now notice it. This is a faithful saying that these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Man, he established this day. We didn't get saved by good works. It's not by works of righteousness. In fact, we were foolish. We were deceived. We were hateful. We were all this before we came to know Christ. But praise be unto God. He showed us what love and kindness is. And as he did, now I'm a new creature in Christ. And I am called to maintain good works. And what does Paul describe those as in Romans chapter 13, the end of the chapter? Christ-likeness. Put ye on Christ. And that really gives us our next description. Real quick, we'll blitz through this one. Number three, grow up. <laughs> grow up. Wake up and wise up, okay? Wake up and wise up. And then you and I are, are, are obviously called to clean up. And now it's grow up. Grow up. So, as you and I grow physically, and especially as we think of little children and so forth, you grow out of things, right? You grow out of clothing and so forth. As a parent, it's hard to keep up with how much your children grow, right? I think one of the things that probably hit me the most about this lockdown and everything else is, man, seeing all the kids afterwards. <laughs> and they're all growing and so forth. The rest of us put on our COVID-19. But anyway, we won't go there. And uh, uh, freshman 15, okay, anyway, that's all right. Um, so we all grow, right? Grow things. And kids, man, they grow out of things like crazy. Uh, consistently outgrowing it, if we might describe it as that. It's hard to do that. You know, the fact is this. When you and I were birthed into the family of God, uh, his intent, God's intent, is that we would never stop growing. Now, I am grateful. I'm looking for the day my, my boys stop growing. I have to keep buying clothes. But when you and I were birthed in the family of God, he never wants us to stop growing. You are constantly putting on Christ, putting on Christ looking like Christ in different ways, growing in the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And I, I love what Paul writes in verse 13. I think it's a crucial point. In verse 13, he says this, let us walk honestly as in the day. Doesn't he? Notice it back here in Romans chapter 13. He said, let us walk honestly as in the day. Literally, the idea of this, uh, constantly uh, growing and putting on things, but living in such a way, uh, behaving, conducting ourselves like we are of the day. Literally, we are of Christ, and that that day is today. So when he says here, Romans 13, the idea of us uh, walking honestly, and as he puts it here, let us walk honestly as in the day, he's saying this, let Live like that day's today, urgently. Live like Jesus Christ is coming back today, and you are of that day, and you're looking forward to it. So live like you are of that day. In fact, we put it on the outline like this. Live in the midst of the darkness like you belong to the day. Live in the midst of this darkness of this world like you belong to the day. He's echoing Christ's call for us to be a light in the darkness. Paul's saying, wake up to this, grow into it, and realize you as a believer, you're supposed to live like the light. You're part of the day. Live like it in urgency and anticipation. You ever put something on one of your children and it didn't fit, and you're like, you'll grow into it. Just hang on. Wait a little longer, you'll grow into it. You know what the reality is as a Christian? That's exactly what God says. Grow into the idea that you are of the day. My friend, listen. 
this is a dark world we live in. It's only getting darker. But I'm not of the dark. I'm of the day. I'm of Jesus Christ and a whole brand new day that will dawn with his coming back. Praise the Lord. But I ought to live like that. I don't have to live like someone of this world. I ought to live like a child of Christ. Constantly, urgently, urgently focusing on putting on Christ's likeness. He speaks of what? Putting on the armor of light, right? In this passage, the armor of light. And I like what Paul wrote to the, the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He simply put this. He said, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That comes the chapter before Ephesians 6 where we have the armor of God. So putting on the armor of light, this armor of light, it's the armor of God. It can protect us. It can keep us from works of darkness as we live and walk and act like we are of the day and that that day is today. See, this armor of light, it pictures the clothing of spiritual purity and integrity that we need to urgently clothe ourselves with every day. So it bespeaks this picture, as he says, put on the armor of light at the end of verse 12. Let us put on the armor of light, spiritual purity and integrity. Clothing ourselves daily in it. Purity and integrity. In verse 14, what does he say? I love it. He says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. We end up back where we kind of started in the sense of the emphasis. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the idea of his righteousness, his truth, his holiness, his love becoming more and more, here's the key, evident in our lives. Becoming more and more evident in our lives. Um, You know, Growing up, and, and as he puts with it, to clothe ourselves appropriately, um, you know, to put on a garment can take considerable amount of effort and a concentrated energy, especially when you're a young child. So when Christ comes to us, he says, put on Jesus Christ. You know, there's time that takes effort. This morning, I was helping my five-year-old get dressed for school, and he wanted to do it himself. I could have dressed him in probably three times less the time. But he wanted to do it and get every button and do those things. You know, the fact is this. We get it. But have you ever, have you ever gotten dressed and you missed a button? Gentlemen, have you ever put on a belt and you missed a belt loop? Yeah, you ever do anything? I, I, I sometimes talk with those shirts that have little buttons here. You know, boy, those are easy to forget. This one doesn't, so I'm, I'm, I'm in luck. And I, somebody has a button that's not, I sometimes want to say, hey, you, you need to tie down your flap all right there and so forth. You know, it's easy to forget something like that. You know what? Listen to me. That's exactly what God is saying. So you and I need to be urgent about being clothed in Jesus Christ. Because it's easy. If we just face every day without saying, okay, I, I don't need to look in the mirror of God's word to make sure I'm looking good. You know, the fact is this, we can meet, miss a belt loop spiritually. We can miss a button spiritually. And boy, if you never look in the mirror or never really give it much of a thought, man, we can really miss out on things. That's why the Bible says, listen, put on Jesus Christ. Make sure you're putting it on right. Look in the Scripture, the mirror of God's Word. Make sure you're clothed in Jesus Christ and you're reflecting Him. Because boy, if you don't do that, we're in trouble. We're not urgently considering that I need to be part of the uh, the day. Can I ask you to, in closing, have you focused today on growing up in Christ? That's putting on the character of Christ. Have you thought today, you know what? I, this area, this instance, this situation, I didn't really show the character of Christ like I ought to. I really need to put on Christ. You see, when Paul says, wake up and wise up, he's calling us to a renewed, urgent focus on doing just that. And then verse 14, we won't spend much time on it, but you see what he says? See, he makes this point. What you make provision for is of utmost importance. 
In other words, if we can think of it this way, what you provide for. Don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, but rather make provision for the new man to fulfill the call to Christ's likeness thereof. That's what he says in verse 14. Don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lesson. Don't do that, but make provision for the new man so that you can fulfill the call to Christ's likeness, to be like Christ, to put on Christ. That's his encouragement here. We can think in terms of food, can't we? Making provisions for that. We grow based upon the food we eat. So feed your flesh the provision of the lust and sin, and that flesh is going to grow in strength. You'll put on the deeds of the flesh. But make provision for the spiritual inner man. You say, how do we make provision daily? Well, you feast on God's word. You feast on righteous thoughts. You holy and godly considerations. Every area of life, you listen to the Holy Spirit. When you do that, you nourish the new man in Christ. And it'll help you to grow and produce the very character of Christ, thereby putting on Christ. Now remember, the provision for sin originates in our hearts and our minds, our emotions and our will. They're all still powerfully influenced by the flesh, the old man. That's why the Bible says we must bring every thought into captivity. And we must limit our thoughts, how does the Bible put it? To those things that are true and honest and just, pure, lovely, virtuous. You think on those things. And as you do that, then it will affect you. I like what he wrote to the church of Galatia. He says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you know what he puts together? Get it. To walk by the Spirit is to live by the Word. To walk by the Spirit is to live by the Word. And capital W, referring to Scriptures, but John chapter 1 tells us who is the Word? Jesus Christ. Putting on Christ by living by the Word. Such provisions, when you and I say, I'm going to walk by the Spirit, and I'm going to do that by living by the Word, the fact is this, such provisions help one to put on Christ. So as you and I see the day approaching, as you and I understand that the day is dawning, that there is a tremendous need for urgency to put on Jesus Christ, uh, he says, listen, clean up. Make sure you clean up, wisen up to what day it is, but then clean up, wake up to what needs to be done, then grow up in Jesus Christ. It's the instructions for you and I as we face, who knows? I often sometimes stand here as I bring a message to a conclusion, finally for some of you. Uh, I often think, what happens if Jesus Christ comes back before Sunday, before our next service? And what a delight it would be, but more importantly, what will he find us doing? Asleep, slumbering spiritually, where he find us as a bunch of Christians that are urgently and just intensely cleaning ourselves up and growing in the very likeness of Christ. I trust it is so. Brother Cliff, you bring this prayer request uh, forward. I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'd encourage as we think about it, continue to pray for our country, pray for the elections upcoming, the Lord would work in and through that, and uh, help our country, heal our country, pray spiritually, most importantly, for revival in our country, that God would just deliver us uh, from some of the directions and things that are taking place and uh, that he would be exalted. So just encourage you to continue to pray for those things. Thank you, Brother Cliff. We'll mention these prayer requests too. Well, just a couple here. So let me ask you to pray for Evelyn Judd. Evelyn Judd, this is Nancy Seeley's mother. So, and just pray for care and wisdom concerning a tumor that she has on the left side of her abdomen. And so um, right now she's not seeking treatment. She's almost 92 years old. So just pray for the Lord to take care of her, meet her needs, for wisdom there concerning that tumor uh, that Evelyn Judd, Nancy Seeley's mother, has on the left side of her abdomen. 
Evelyn Judd. So just please pray in that way. And right now she's not seeking treatment. She's almost 92 years old. So I ask you to pray for that. Pray for Denise Sardu. This is Debbie Robinson's uh, sister. She has a blood clot in her leg. And uh, chemo has been uh, very hard this time on her. So just pray for Denise. Pray for that, uh, that um, blood clot to dissipate on some medicine, got some medicine yesterday. So just pray that she would be able to see that gone, but also pray as she is enduring this chemo and the, the, what it has ta- the toll that it has taken on her. I encourage you to pray there. As you pray for Trisha Taunton, Trisha Taunton, and uh, this is uh, Ethan Johnson's aunt, and has uh, diverticulitis and infection, inflammation of the digestive system, and so high fever. So pray for her. Uh, she's on antibiotics. This is Trisha Taunton, Ethan, uh, Ethan Johnson's aunt. Uh, on antibiotics in the hospital, the doctor says if fever goes up, they will have to remove part of her colon. So Pray for Ethan's aunt, Trisha Taunton. The Lord would just undertake on her behalf and uh, meet the needs there, lift her up, strengthen her, and certainly take down the fever so they wouldn't have to do any surgery. So appreciate your prayers on that. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, take these prayer requests, others there in our prayer bulletin before him. Appreciate you being here tonight. We look forward to Sunday, what the Lord has for us, and worshiping him. Let's go to prayer together.